Well, good morning once again. It's a joy to be with you each week and share God's word. Um, at this time, if we have children that want to go to children's, and there they go. Um, they're like, we're out of here. We're not taking part of this. Uh, that's how good our children's ministry time is, is they want to get back there as fast as they can. So, no, that's really great. Um, so I was going to say, if you have children and you want them to go, they, they're welcome to go, but they're gone. So, uh, I would invite the rest of you to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. That's where we're truly going to be camped out today. I mentioned this earlier. It's been kind of a hectic and busy week for me. I just want to share a little bit because uh, you're my church family and share what your pastor's been up to this week. So I started out Monday morning at 7 a.m. I left uh, to head for Michigan to the Great Lakes District uh, of the EFCA uh, annual conference. And uh, it was two wonderful days. I want to tell you that um, what a fantastic experience. I'm quite confident uh, that when we voted to join EFCA a few weeks back, we did a really good thing. And I'm really feeling confident about it. The conference was theologically deep, but it was full of joyful fellowship in the gospel. Uh, I made some friends, so that's cool. Um, I like making friends. And uh, then I got home on Wednesday. Uh, well, I got home on Tuesday night, and then Wednesday I was here in the church office. Then, uh, then on Thursday afternoon, I took a car full of teenage boys and headed for Valparaiso, Indiana, where the Faith Christian School Falcons uh, Kenan and Asher's team, actually Kenan and Asher, I'm pointing the wrong way, but Kenan and Asher's team, uh, soccer team completed their, uh, undefeated season and, uh, three-peated as ACSI Mid-America Tournament Champions. So we got home at 10 o'clock last, yeah, you can clap, that's okay, that's good. Um, the team, the team's being recognized out at Faith Assembly today, but, you know, my kids have a pastor for a dad, so. Uh, anyway, um, so they're here. Uh, anyway, um, no, but it was it was a good time. But we didn't get home till about ten o'clock last night, and if that wasn't enough traveling. I'm leaving for Eldon's funeral tomorrow afternoon, so I'll be gone uh, for a few days this week. So um, I'd appreciate your prayers for that. Um, I'm I'm already pretty tired, so I'm going to try to get some rest this afternoon and see where see where that leads. But. Um, if you would, uh, if you would pray for that, I would appreciate it. Um, and, oh, and Bethany's not feeling well. She wanted to not, like, out of an abundance. She thinks it's just allergies and like head cold stuff. But out of an abundance of caution, she didn't want to show up. So if you pray for her as well, I would appreciate that. Um, but I did not come here to talk about me, um, which is actually apropos for our passage today. Today's passage is historically referred to as the Hall of Faith, but unlike. A hall of fame in the sports world, the hall of faith is actually not pointing to the greatness of the people who are enshrined in it. It's pointing to the greatness of the Savior whom they had faith in. See, faith is only as good as the object of that faith. Whatever you have faith in, your faith is only as good as the ability of the object you're putting your faith in to sustain you. When we think of Hebrews 11 and the great hall of faith, we don't generally think of the idea of suffering and tribulation. Yet for those who follow Jesus, we have a certainty that we will suffer and face persecution for our faith in Jesus. Jesus guaranteed that his disciples would face tribulation. They, they would face suffering and hard times, persecution. 
In John chapter 16, verse 33, he said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. See, it's important as we go into Hebrews 11 to understand we're not bandwagon fans, okay? We're not bandwagon fans. We don't only cheer and root on the home team when they're on a, rooting, or a winning streak. In fact, faith grows in the fertile soil of persecution and suffering. It actually blossoms during hard times. False faith withers during persecution. And the author of Hebrews is writing to these Hebrew Christians who were facing pressure to return to their old covenant ways of life and worship and to turn their backs on their newfound faith in Jesus. So what would he write to them to help encourage them that Jesus is better than any of that? Jesus is better. Jesus is worth staying true to. And we're going to begin in Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to read verse 11 through 40. Okay? We're going to buzz through the rest of this passage. So, listen fast. Here we go. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of the heaven and as many and as as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore these all died in faith not having received the things promised but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was growing up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated by the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute 
did not perish with those who were disobedient because they had given a, she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith considered, conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to fight, with flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept, to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask God to help us understand and apply it to our lives. Lord God, as we come to your word, let us have a reverence about it, but also let us not in our over-familiarity maybe with this passage, let us not brush by things that we need to deeply understand. And I pray you would help us to understand it at a deeper level than maybe we have before. And I ask that the truth that we hear in this, your word, pray I would be clear in explaining it but I pray that it would catalyze us, that it would catapult us forward into faithful living. Because you are true and we can trust you and take you at your word, Jesus. It's in your name I pray. Amen. We're going to look at these folks who are listed in the Hall of Faith. And we're going to do so by asking some pretty basic questions. First, we're going to ask... Well, what did they do? We're going to look at what they did. We're going to look at what they did. We're going to look at uh, why they did it and what they received. Those are some of the things we're going to look at as we move through this passage. So first of all, what did they do? Well, we find that if we look at verses 4 through 35, really A, 35A, kind of that first section of 35. Last week we talked about the first part of the Hall of Faith, and what it was that caused these actions in their lives. It was their faith in God, a faith in the coming Redeemer that drove them to the obedience of God. They'd witnessed firsthand the faithfulness of God to keep his promises, and they had faith in him that he would continue to keep his promises to them. Now that sounds really simple, and it sort of is in description, but it's not so simple when facing all kinds of trials that they ended up facing. It starts to become a little more complicated, at least it feels more complicated when we're going through it. In this passage, we have a recounting of exactly what it was that their faith catalyzed them or pushed them forward to do. And the author's goal here is to positively illustrate what faith looks like in practice. He wants to show his audience how faith is lived out. 
what it looks like in the real lives of real people who they would have been familiar with. And he's using these examples from their past to encourage them in the future and us as well. So now we covered the first four of this list uh, of the Hall of Faith. If you were to go back to the beginning of chapter four or chapter eleven, excuse me, and we we covered the first four: Abel, Enoch, Noah, and Abraham. Last week, we're going to talk a little bit more about Abraham today. But what did they do? Well, verse four, we find Abel gave the Lord an acceptable offering versus his brother Cain, who did not. And I will point out that Abel ended up dying as a result of that. Cain killed him. Then we had Enoch, who left the earth without dying. Remember, he walked with God and was no more, right? God took him. Then we had Noah, who survived the great flood. Then we have Abraham, who inherited a land. You remember God said, go to the land I will show you. And Abraham packed his bags and took off. Because he trusted God, he took God at his word that he would lead him to that land. He would show him the land that he was telling him to go to, even though he didn't know what it was, where it was. So then, in verse 11, today we come to Sarah. What did Sarah do? Well, Sarah bore a son, though she had been barren, and became a nation. Well, Abraham was involved in this, right? So then we have Abraham, in verse 19, Abraham believed God. He believed that God could raise the dead. Now, this is important. This is important to know because Abraham, in saying this, was acknowledging that he might really have to kill his son. Now, let's just put ourselves in that place. Let's just put ourselves in that place for a minute. You can go back. I'm not going to go back and read the whole, the whole story, but God told Abraham that he was going to become a nation through, he would have all these descendants through his son Isaac. And then he told him to go sacrifice Isaac up on the mountain. So Abraham loads up Isaac, and they take off, and he binds him, and he gets him all set up to sacrifice, and he raises the knife to kill his son. God says, stop, and he provides a ram in the thicket. And so he provided a substitutionary sacrifice, which again is a picture of the gospel. But understand that it's important to know that Abraham believed that God could raise the dead because he was acknowledging in that belief, he was acknowledging that he might actually have to kill his son out of obedience to God, but he believed that because God had promised that he was able to raise the dead, that God would still fulfill that promise. That Abraham might have still had to go through that horror, but still, he still had the faith, even though he was thinking to, through that, that God would fix it in some way if he so willed. He trusted, here's the thing, he trusted God's character and the promise that God had made that he would have a line of descendants through Isaac. Even though, I mean, if it's just me and you say you're going to have this line of descendants, but you're also going to kill the person who through that line is going to come, I've got questions. But he believed that God was even able to raise the dead. Let's go on because we've got others to talk about here. Isaac and Jacob both predicted the future. Joseph, we see in verse 22, anticipated the exodus long before it happened. Moses' parents defied the king. They, their baby was beautiful. They wanted to save him, so they put him in the basket and put him out on the river. Moses, verse 25, forsook the pleasures of sin. 
Moses left the land of Egypt. He was not afraid of the king. The people of Israel kept the Passover. See that in verse 28. Now when the people of Israel kept the Passover, it's a big foreshadowing of the new covenant in Jesus. Why do I stop there? That's important to this author of Hebrews putting that in here because he had just spent some chapters back going through the superiority of the new covenant to the old covenant and why they should not fall back into their old covenant ways of worship and practice. And here he's using their own story and the hall of faith to show them that all of that was in fact pointing forward to Jesus, the Redeemer. <coughs> I tried to cover the mic. Then we see in verse 29, the people of Israel crossed the Red Sea. And then in 30, they shouted down a city. And then in 31, Rahab protected some Hebrew spies. Hey, Asher, would you go give me a bottle of water, please? Sorry if I don't, I, I take care of that. Um. Rahab protected Hebrew spies. Now, there's some interesting things about Rahab. I think the major interesting thing we could all agree is that she was a prostitute, right? So we've got this hall of faith, and it seems rather interesting that in the middle of this chapter of this great people of faith in Jewish history, we have a prostitute. Kind of reminds me of that Sesame Street song. You guys know that one? One of these things is not like the other. Right? One of these things does not belong. Only she does belong. She was commended for her faith. She actually did belong in that list. Thank you. And she is included here. Now, as why do I point this out? A couple of reasons. As we read this section, we see some people who are listed here. And if you've spent any time in the Old Testament, you know that some of these folks were kind of rascals in certain parts of their lives, right? We have accounts of their sin. We know how messed up some parts of their lives were. Yet this passage focuses more on their faith than their deeds and doesn't seem to mention their sins. So I like Rahab appearing here because that shows us the playing ground is even. Like we're all sinners. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Some seek forgiveness that is only found in Jesus, and some do not. But the point here was her faith, that she trusted. She trusted God. She was looking forward as the others were. Now, there's another place in Scripture where we find some sketchy characters in a long list of names in the Bible. And it's in the genealogy of Jesus. So this year, this is a commercial. For the Advent season this year, I'm going to be preaching through a series of messages that I'm calling Family Christmas. Where we're going to look at some of the people in Jesus' genealogy and how the gospel confronts our shortcomings and sins with love and forgiveness. And I'm really looking forward to that. End of commercial. But we're going to talk about Rahab and we're going to talk about Rahab there too. And so I wanted to make sure that I put in that plug. It would be a really good time for you to invite somebody to come to church with you. Well, every Sunday is a good Sunday to invite somebody to come to church with you. So next we move on and we have the accounts of what the prophets and the judges did in verses 30 
3 through 35, right? The prophets and judges subdued kingdoms, shut the mouths of lions, quenched flames, escaped the sword, exchanged weakness for strength, put enemy armies to flight, and even, a few, even raised the dead. In verse 34, it, you know, it talks about them being made strong out of weakness or exchanging weakness for strength. Understanding where strength comes from, true strength comes from the Lord, they persisted and followed God's leading because they understood true strength wasn't in military might, but in the Lord. They focused on God's promise and his faithfulness to those promises. And you can always count on God to keep his promises because God cannot lie. We read that earlier in Hebrews. This issue is not whether God keeps his promises to us because he always will. The issue is, do we know what God has actually promised in his word? See, some people think God has promised them something because they had a warm, gushy feeling about it. Or they had some emotional sense of God making them a promise or something. But then that thing doesn't come to pass and they lose heart. Or they lose faith because of it. And the issue wasn't that God didn't keep his promise. He always does that. The issue is that you were holding on to something and expecting God to do something that he never promised to do. This is why it's crucial, absolutely crucial, that we know God's word. These great people of faith, they're included here in a large part because they took God at his word. And it played out in their actions. We have to know what is true and what is not by the word of God to take God at his word. Uh, so far, these things sound awesome, don't they? People shutting the mouths of lions and raising the dead and women getting their people back from the dead. Like, this sounds great, right? But then, and, and I think all of us would be on board with all that stuff we're like this is great these people hall of faith this is great but then we hit verse 35 about halfway through and it gets a little as one pastor said it gets a little tarantino on us there's this shift from all of these things that humanly speaking we we would call good or amazing to things that like these sound pretty terrible halfway through here look at look at verses 35 through 40 women received back their dead by resurrection stop that sounds great i'm in i'm in I'm in. Let's keep going. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And... All these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. So this brings us to point number two. So we've got what they did, but point number two is what they endured. What they endured. And I just want to go through the list, and it'll pop up on the screen, but they went through terrible torture. The majority of us are not signing up for that. Like, you didn't wake up this morning and Get out your to-do list and write down, I want to be tortured. Number two, ridicule. Most of us don't sign up for that. Some of us get it because we do dumb things, but that's not what this is talking about. Number three, cruel flogging. Is there a not cruel flogging? Number four, imprisonment. Stoning. 
being sawn in two while you're still alive, presumably? Death by the sword? I don't even like a paper cut. And extreme poverty. See, the model we see in Scripture for those following Christ closely does not seem to match up what we hear from many popular television or Christian bookstore preachers. It was God's plan for their lives to go this way. It was God's plan for their lives to go this way. It might be God's will for your life that you glorify him through walking through cancer, through the death of a loved one, through suffering that so far you can only imagine. We see biblical evidences of this. And not one of you, not one of you would say that Jeremiah wasn't blessed or sent by God, and yet the things that, uh, we see the things that happened to him, thrown in a pit, you know? None of us would say Paul wasn't blessed by God. Stone, boiling oil, all this stuff. Like, and yet when things happen to us, we want to ask, where's God? The answer is he's right there with us. And we should trust him and him alone and cling to Jesus. Faith is built stronger in suffering and hardship. That's where faith actually is built stronger, is in suffering and hardship. And the scripture tells us the world was not worthy of this people, of these people, sorry. The world was not worthy of them. But their presence in this world and the presence of people of strong faith in the world is evidence of God's grace. I tried to talk about this. People like Eldon, uh, my friend that died. Um, the last time I saw him, the last time I saw him, he said, hey, I hadn't seen him in years probably. At least one he was at my uncle's funeral or not. He said, hey, I need to apologize to you for something that happened like, it was like eight years ago, seven, eight years ago. That I really didn't even factor him into being a part of it. But he said, I was, I was wrong. I need to ask your forgiveness or however he worded it. And as I was getting this ready and I thought about the world was not worthy of this people, but their presence in the world is the evidence of God's grace. And I think about you and me. And I think about us being people of faith in, in, in a, a world that is, looks pretty hopeless to people on the outside. And we've got those people in our lives and we know who are, who are of deep faith and they're evidence of God's grace to us. And I think about, well, what's going to be said at your funeral? You know, are you evidence of God's grace to somebody in your life? That one's free. I didn't even prep that one. The proclaiming of the word of God to sinful people was a greater privilege than the world or any of us deserve, and yet the very fact that they were here 
The very fact that people are here who share the gospel is a gift of grace from God. He didn't wish for us to perish, but to know him from the very beginning. And he set it up. And this hall of faith shows that. He didn't wish for us to perish. He sustained, he prepared a way for Israel to go through so that Jesus could come through the line of Israel. That's why. That's why he sustained them. That's why he protected them. They were his people because through, through them would come the Savior. So that's what they did, what they endured. But number three is why they endured. Why? Why did they endure these things? It says they chose torture rather than, than release. When someone comes to you and says, I will either torture you if you claim Christ or if you deny him, I'll let you go. They'd rather be tortured for the glory of Christ. But why did they endure? Well, number one, they saw the invisible city of God. You can see that in verses 10 and 13, 15, second part of 16. They looked ahead to the city of God. Number two, they believed that suffering for the sake of Christ was better than having all the riches of this world. Verse 26. This is what I think is one of the most stark points. The world will offer you everything. It will offer you ways of getting around and taking a lesser faith. If you'll do things their way, and in the end, it all comes up short. Jesus is better. That's the theme of the whole book of Hebrews. The people in the Hall of Faith counted even suffering for the sake of Jesus as better than having the riches of the world. It's better to get sawn in half while you're still alive for Jesus than to have a great job and make a lot of money. It's better to get stoned because you trust Jesus rather than win the Super Bowl. In many ways, God's economy is upside down from the world's. It truly are. For part of the kingdom of God, those who have trusted in Christ alone for salvation, believe the gospel, repent of their sins, we truly are part of a subversive kingdom. And number three, they looked forward to their own resurrection. They looked forward to their own resurrection. I got to speed up a little bit here. That's why they endured, but what did they receive? What did they receive out of this? Like, they received something. They didn't do it to receive it. They did it because they took God at his word. But, but what did they receive? Well, number one, in the past, so they received something in the past and in the future. I know this is a little academic and heady, but, but in, the, in the past, the earthly and temporary approval of God. They served God on earth. And he commended them. But when we were talking about commendation last week, we also said that it was not just a temporal earthly commendation or an approval, but an eternal approval. And that's verse 40. In the future, they received the heavenly and eternal approval of God. See, the actions of the Old Testament saints show the faith, that faith pleases God and that he rewards all who seek him. Verse 40, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. See, they only saw preliminary glimpses of what God had promised. 
Take Abraham, for instance. There's a passage in Romans that talks about Abraham. Romans chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. They had glimpses and they had faith forward in that, that promised Savior, that promised Redeemer, that promised Messiah. God has something better for us than that. We have the New Testament realities of the Son of God. We don't just have a glimpse. We have the Son of God revealed to us. Jesus. The saints of old mentioned here, along with the believers in the current era, so now, get to partake in the end times perfection together, but they don't get it, not apart from us, it's all through Jesus. I talked about that a lot last week. But understand, it wasn't the faith itself that produced this in them, it was the object of that faith. It was the object of that faith, the Redeemer. See, the gospel is the only message by which we can know God. It's the only message by which we can have forgiveness of sins. Because it's true. That God, and, and, and I like it this way, God, man, sin, redeemer. Right? If you want to just remember how to share the gospel real quick with somebody, God, man, sin, redeemer. God, 100% pure, righteous, holy, He's just and loving. But because he is just, when man sinned and brought sin into the world, that sin separated us from a holy God. Because our sin cannot be in the presence of God. So man was separated from God out of, relation, out of, out of proper relationship with God. And sin, because God is just, must be punished. So God must pour out wrath upon sin. That's how it works. So here's man all of us sinful before God and God holy and just. But God is also love. And because he is also love but also wants his justice to be fulfilled, he sent Jesus Christ in the flesh. God in the flesh. 100% man, 100% God. And he died on the cross taking the punishment that justice due our sin upon himself, paying the price that is on our sin. He lived the perfect sinless life. So he was the perfect sacrifice. And he died in our place as a substitute. And then three days later, by the power of God, rose from the grave, proving that God accepted that sacrifice as sufficient for all eternity to pay for our sin, past, present, and future. So your faith, their faith, was only as good as the object of that faith, the thing that faith was put in. I've said this before, I've done it here too, where I've used a chair as an example. 
Like, I can have faith that that chair is going to hold me up, but my faith in that chair is only as good as the strength of that chair. Now, that illustration that I actually did not plan on using this week was proven even more true earlier this week. I was at home Wednesday night for one of the two nights this week I got to sleep in my own bed. And I was staying up late. I thought, well, I'll work on the sermon because I'm going to be traveling a lot. And I ended up, I kind of had it open, and then I was like, well, I'm going to finish up this show that I'm watching, Star Wars show, of course. So I'm sitting there. Everybody else is in bed. I'm in my office chair, my home office at home. I kind of lean back. I'm just watching this. Everything's good. And all of a sudden, pop, and I'm on the ground. The arm that connect, the arm of this chair connects the back. It broke in two places by the bolts and dumped me back. And the dull chair and me both, we went backwards. Didn't feel good on my bad back, by the way. But I could have had all the faith in the world in that chair. But it wasn't sufficient to hold me up. The object of your faith is important. So what does that mean for the original audience? The original people who would have heard this. Well, the faith of the original audience was being tested. They were being tempted to walk away. They were tempted to forsake the gathering of the church for worship. And just chuck everything that they had been taught. And the writer is telling them over and over that Jesus is better. The same redeemer that their ancestors were looking ahead toward and grasping a hold of is the same redeemer who redeemed them and calls them to persevere in their faith. Trials should not be looked at as an easy time to pull the eject cord. They're an opportunity for growth in their faith and for them to again see the promise-keeping, covenant-making God continue to keep his word. George Muller, who was a great man of faith, said this, God delights to increase the faith of his children. We ought, instead of wanting no trials before victory, no exercise for patience, to be willing to take them from God's hand as a means. I say, and say it deliberately, trials, obstacles, difficulties, and sometimes defeats are the very food of faith. The very food of faith. I sat there at this tournament yesterday. The boys won the first game on Friday morning, like 4-1 to one or something like that. And we get to the semifinal game, and it's, it's like 32 degrees when we get there. It was cold. I'm wearing Carhartts outside at a soccer match. And we do the game, and it's 0-0 zero to zero the whole time. The time expires, and we're going to penalty shootouts. It's nerve-wracking. It's crazy. We win in penalty shootouts. Everybody's excited. They're exuberant. The other team's weeping. Uh, it was quite stark. It was really stark. It really was. So then we go and do everything we got to do during the day, and then we go to the championship game. I have a point to sharing this, okay? Um, I don't really think sports actually really matter in light of eternity, but it's a good illustration. So we go to the championship game. We're like, oh, we can't let that happen again. We can't let it go to a shootout. That was terrible. Um, all season, we've won by big margins. Uh, and so we play the first half, zero to zero. Then we play the second half, zero to zero. We're going to penalty shootouts for the championship again. And I thought to myself, you know, I've been preparing this sermon. 
And I think, you know, God, please let them win. I, you know, I know you don't care about sports probably, but, you know, please, you know, <laughs> I don't know. And then I thought, I, I want them to win. But if they lose, wow, what an opportunity for growth. You know? And look, I'm a Raiders fan, so I know all about losing. All right? But why that connected in my brain was right here. Deliberately, he says, trials, obstacles, difficulties, and sometimes defeats are the very food of faith. That we go through all this really hard junk in life. And sometimes we think it'd be real easy to just pull the ripcord, right? Let that golden parachute come out, whatever. Instead of letting ourselves fall right into the arms of the Savior. So what do we do with that? What do we do with that? How do we grow in our faith through trials? Like, how do we persevere in that? I'm going to invite the musicians to come back forward and get ready to play. I want to challenge you with a couple of things. One is this. You will face struggle. You will face persecution. You will face trial. Look, uh, most of us here have never had the opportunity to get sawn in half for the sake of Jesus. And we read through some of the stories of persecution and suffering and trial for people for their faith, and we think, yeah, but we really don't, you know, we don't have that. And I'm not going to stand up here and tell you, oh, oh yes, it's coming. You're going to be, you're going to be. I mean, it could. It, it cer- certainly could. Um, but my point is we're really unwilling to even face, like, even mild inconveniences for our faith sometimes. So I think the challenge there is as we make all of our decisions in life, will we make our decisions in life based on faith in the living God who will keep his promises or do we make our decisions based on what the world says is success or what the world says is is what we should do what are we looking ahead towards the people in the hall of faith were looking ahead to a permanent city to the city of God to that future resurrection And holding fast to a Savior. Counting even suffering for Jesus as greater than the riches of this world. See, that's the kind of faith that changes you. It changes how you make decisions. When you get up in the morning on a Sunday morning and it's cold. And your feet hit the floor and you're like, I don't want to go to church. I just want to go back to bed. This faith affects that decision. When you are in the grocery store and you're just trying to go buy some avocados so you can make guacamole. And there's a lady there who starts talking to you about whatever she's going through in life. This kind of faith helps you make the decision about what you do. When you have an opportunity to Take the easy way out with your kids or your grandkids or your family 
and not talk to them about the way they're living their life and what the truth of the gospel is for them. Or to just keep the status quo and not cause friction. This kind of faith helps you make those decisions. So my question is, for you, where is your faith? And if maybe this morning you've seen, like, wow, I've, I want that kind of faith, but, and, and look, I, Pastor, I love Jesus, but I got some real hang-ups about some of this stuff. And you're like, I got some sin. I, I, maybe God has pointed out in your heart some sin in your life. Then I just call you to repent and believe the good news that, look, the hall of faith is full of people. I mean, David's mentioned in there. He was a murderer and an adulterer. All right? Abraham's mentioned in there a lot. What, what did he do? Well, he lied that his wife was his sister, so hopefully he wouldn't get killed. Moses is in there who wasn't even allowed to enter the promised land because he disappointed God. So you're in good company. So I invite you to believe that whatever it is that has been your sin, your and you're failing in that living that life, making these decisions of faith, I'm inviting you to just repent and run back to Jesus. And instead of pulling the easy out parachute, to fall right into his arms. Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to sing a final song. And uh, as always, as always, if you need to talk to somebody about your faith, about knowing the Lord Jesus, about... Uh, repentance or church membership or maybe we've got baptisms coming up maybe you're saying yeah I'd like to follow the Lord in baptism or want more information about that I invite you to come talk to me afterwards or talk to someone near you who would love to pray with you and share uh, the good news with you let me pray and then we'll, we'll sing God thank you so much for the truth of your word that we have these examples of faith and God, the point is not for me or any of us here to feel so discouraged and upset that we don't measure up. The point is for us to call out to you. Because we know we, we know we don't measure up. And that's the point of the gospel, that, that we don't have to because you did. You lived a perfect life in our place, and you gave that perfect life on the cross for our sin in our place. Help us to trust you, Jesus. To cling to you. And to be a people who are evidences of your grace in this world, Jesus.